Hey guys, this is Konstantinos and welcome back to Law Made Simple. Today we're going to be going over a few of the main issues or main theories with um, within the spectrum of criminal law. To begin with, um, I think it's important to mention that when you're looking at criminal law, it's important to also look at where, um, like to consider the jurisdiction. Um, and what I mean by this is you, you want to know as much as you could or as often as you could where the criminal act was committed and also um, where the result of it occurred, um, you know, if the result is a necessary element of that crime. So sometimes you have examples where um, a criminal offense takes part in, let's say, one state or one jurisdiction, um, but the result of that injury or the result of that criminal offense will actually occur elsewhere. And so you have a difference of uh, jurisdiction. Sometimes that brings in uh, complex issues with um, uh, the, how, how the punishment um, will, be, will be administered depending on where uh, the crime took place or where the result of that crime took place. So it's always something good to keep in mind. I'm going to now talk about the classifications of crimes. There are several different types of crimes, you know, in terms of how they're um, categorized in terms of their severity or seriousness. So the very first one, the big one that we hear in the U.S. Um, is uh, felony. So felonies are the more serious crimes. These are the crimes that are typically, um, you know, the, so the, the thing to know about the crime jurisdiction or the crime classifications is that crimes are classified depending on the severity and depending on more specifically the, um, the type of punishment that are that's associated with those crimes. So when you're talking about felonies, you're, you're talking about the serious crimes that are punishable by death or um, imprisonment by uh, or for more than one year. So those are your, um, you know, murder charges, um, robbery, um, burglary, things like that. Things that if someone is convicted of them, they are either punishable by death, which, you know, in some in some states, murder, for example, um, is punishable by death if there is a capital punishment, um, it, you know, in existence in that state. A lot of states have it, like Texas, for example, has capital punishment. California no longer has it. It's been uh, quite a while that they've uh, banned that. But the other alternative is the punishment of that crime, you know, so if someone's punished by being sentenced to one or more years in prison or in jail, then that qualifies as a felony. The next one, which is not as serious, but could still um, have someone, you know, finding themselves ending up in prison for a, a, a good amount of time is a misdemeanor. So misdemeanors are crimes that are punishable by fines only or imprisonment less than one year. So misdemeanors are things that sometimes, you know, are not as serious. So, for example, assault, um, the, 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 the criminal uh, offense of assault, uh, which is, you know, causing someone to um, have a uh, imminent harm or fear of imminent harm uh, placed upon them by another, then that's, that's something that's not as serious as murder, where you're literally taking the life of another human being. So for evidentiary purposes, you know, obvious reasons, we, we understand that misdemeanors are not as serious. They're punishable by fines for the most part or um, up to, uh, you know, less than one year in prison or in jail. 
Then the other two the other two distinctions. So those were the two big categories in terms of how we categorize or classify crimes in in America. Felonies are the serious ones. Misdemeanors are the less serious ones. The other two categories, you might not use them as often, but it's also very good to know to be able to determine on a more theoretical perspective how these crimes relate to one another or how you can um, distinguish between or discern between a few crimes. So the first type of crime is the malum in se crime. Now this is Latin. Uh, you're obviously aware that most terms and theories in the law are derived from the Latin language. Sometimes they're from the Greek language. Shout out to my Greek people. But uh, for the most part, it's Latin. So malum in se, M-A-L-U-M uh, space I-N space S-E. Those are crimes that have always been wrong. Um, they're inherently wrong. The, the Ten Commandments will speak of some of them, like thou shalt not kill. There's never been a point in time, you know, on a sociological perspective, where um, crimes of murder have ever been decriminalized. You'll not, not, there's not a country in the world, there's not a place in time in history, not during the Romans, not during the Persian Empire, not during the Greek Empire, um, or ancient Greece, uh, not during the Byzantine Empire, not during the Middle Ages, not during you know pre-Christ. There's never been a time where murder has been okay. Like it's just always been wrong. Malamin say inherently wrong. Don't ever do it. It'll never change. The other one, which is quite interesting, is malum prohibitum. So malum spelled the same way, same way, M-A-L-U-M, a space prohibitum, which is like prohibited. Uh, P-R-O-H-I-B-I-T-U-M. So malum prohibitum crimes are um, wrong only because it's prohibited by the legislature. It's something that, you know, statute, you know, says is wrong. It's it's illegal or it's been banned or something like that. So one really good example of this is the idea of uh, marijuana consumption or marijuana possession in certain states. So under the, let's say in California, for example. So California now has legalized both for medicinal and for recreational purposes, the use of marijuana. There was a time... Um, you know, uh, way before I came to to uh, to California, but I would say at least maybe 20 years earlier, maybe more, uh, where it wasn't legal to possess or um, or uh, use marijuana for not even medicinal purposes. Forget about recreational purposes. So there was a time where marijuana use was illegal. So if you were caught smoking marijuana, you would be arrested and thrown in jail, and you know have gone through the criminal uh, justice system now today that crime has been decriminalized it's no longer uh, a crime to be in possession of marijuana you won't get arrested because you could have just purchased it legally so the legislature decided from one day to another that this crime is no longer a crime and that it's okay that's the idea of a malum prohibitum um offense um i'm like i'd like to talk about murder and um, how certain crimes will merge with another crime, with the more serious crime, um, if they accompany them in that setting. So, at common law, most merger, uh, most misdemeanor crimes will merge into the felonies if they are paired with a felony crime. Uh, you know, if the same conduct was involved. Um, I think that's important to know. Number two, 
especially modernly, like within the jurisdiction, within the uh, judicial system lately, the inchoate crimes, which we'll get to at a later segment, inchoate crimes are crimes that um, have not been completed yet. They are crimes that are in process or ongoing. Um, and the three major inchoate crimes are solicitation, um, conspiracy, conspiracy, and attempt. Now, um, I say them that way, but I would probably rate them as solicitation in, in terms of severity, in terms of um, the requirements for um, to meet the threshold of those crimes, solicitation, um, attempt, and then conspiracy. Um, so solicitation merges into either conspiracy, attempt, or the completed crime. Attempt also merges into the completed crime. But the important thing to know, and you'll be tested on this, so put an underline asterisk, conspiracy does not ever merge. So if someone's ever charged with conspiracy to commit robbery or conspiracy to commit a burglary and then goes through and commits the burglary, well, that individual could be charged for the burglary itself, for the, for the crime that was completed, and also the conspiracy crime. The conspiracy crime doesn't merge, doesn't go away. But if you had a an attempt to commit burglary, once that attempt to com- commit burglary transforms into the actual crime of burglary, the attempt to commit burglary is wiped out. It merges into and it's sort of gobbled up by the completed crime of burglary. So those are um, some key points to understand when you're looking at the idea of merger, uh, merger of crimes. In addition, um, lesser included crimes or lesser included offenses merge into the greater offenses. So when you're dealing with, um, uh, this goes back to the, the, the idea of the misdemeanor and the, and the felonies. The serious crimes will always um, trump, you know, for lack of a better word, will trump the, um, the, the, the lesser offenses. Moving on now to the elements of crimes. Now, I know, folks, this is very basic, um, straightforward criminal law um, um, content, but I think it's important to go through it and really work and flesh out how elements uh, of a crime are presented and what what the important um, pieces of that crime are necessary for us in terms of answering criminal law questions on the bar exam. So to begin with, the number one thing when you're looking at elements of a crime, you have actus reus. We all know actus reus is a voluntary act by the defendant. Um, this does not include, you know, any reflexive, convulsive, or unconscious acts, um, or acts which are not uh, the product of the actor's determination. So, what this means is that anytime there is a um, a charge against someone that they've committed a crime, well, the prosecution has to prove all elements of a crime, which you know typically consists of actus reus, mens rea. Um, um, the concurrence of those two, they have to be, uh, they have to occur at the same time in, uh, you know, in space. And then also causation, there has to be um, some sort of causation involved. But when you're looking at actus reus, if somebody does something, um, like 
when they're asleep or when they're in a an automatative state so when sometimes people get really drunk or intoxicated whether it's self-induced or not the point of intoxication that renders someone to act without knowingly or intentionally or voluntarily um, taking those actions that is seen as a involuntary action and that's not the actus reus it doesn't meet the threshold for actus reus there are also omissions um, that are part of uh, liability in in the actus reus although actus reus is a guilty act it's an it's a positive or affirmative action there are negative actions such as you know um, withholding from doing something or om the omission to act uh, in a situation where you're supposed to that will also give rise to liability but this only gives rise to liability when there is a duty to act now there are several situations or circumstances or relationships that a person has a duty to act in a criminal uh, in a criminal perspective or in a sorry in a, in a responsibility type of perspective and they will be charged or they could be guilty of the actus reus element if they um, omit from acting so the first one is when there is a statutory duty to i would recommend writing these down there's about five of them i think that are important so the statutory duty uh to act so for example filing a tax return that you have a statutory duty every year um, in the spring to file your income taxes if someone avoids paying their income tax then they um you know they have they have breached uh, a, a criminal uh, a criminal um, section or well, they breach a section in the pro in the um, tax code and so they could be liable criminally uh, they didn't commit an act they just failed to um, they failed to fulfill an act required of them through um, statute the second is a contractual duty so for example a nursing contract or a construction contract or uh, whatever contract you can imagine if someone has a contractual duty to act or to um you know has has duties or responsibilities within the provisions of a contract and they fail to to fulfill those duties uh, i.e they breach the contract well sometimes that could be uh you know that could result in a criminal action the third is any um, conduct arising out of a particular relationship. So the best example for this, the easiest to highlight would be the parent-child relationship. Sometimes, I mean, up until the age of 18, parents are responsible uh, for, the, for the upbringing and for the caring um, and rearing, as they say, child rearing uh, of the child. If a parent fails to meet the requirements of the relationship, uh, you know, relationship responsibilities that they owe to their children by being neglectful, by being negligent, by um, not providing the kids or the children with adequate supervision, adequate, um, you know, food, uh, shelter, and all that thing, all those necessities that children need, well, they could be held liable criminally. The fourth one is where the defendant voluntarily begins to act um so 
this one is not as important as the rest. I'll just leave it at that, where the defendant voluntarily begins to act. So I guess I'll elaborate a little more, but so if a defendant or if somebody the accused is is has taken it upon themselves to to begin doing something, for example, trying to save someone. Um, let's say they, you're driving down the road, you see someone's unconscious, you stop to render first aid. The action of beginning uh, the rendering of the first aid is enough to be is enough to cause guilt or cause liability on a criminal uh, sense to someone if they've started and they just decide midway, oh, I'm going to stop. Because if it can be proven that had they not stopped or but for them stopping, that person would have survived, that person trying to render the aid in the first place will be found guilty. The fifth one is the last one, and I think this one is very important. It, it, it involves any situation where the defendant has created the peril. So if someone creates a situation that um, you know causes for danger to arise, um, in this, in the life of another, then that person has a responsibility. They have a duty and an obligation to to diminish or to extinguish entirely that uh, peril or that danger that they've created. Um, and if they don't, then they could be held liable. The next section within the elements of crimes. That I'd like to discuss is the is what what happens um, in certain circumstances when you're dealing with property crimes. Um, so possession of property may give rise to liability in some situations if the defendant was aware of his possession and had an opportunity to terminate his possession. So simply put, if someone knows that they've got property that they're um, you know they're holding. And they know that the, that it's it's uh, stolen goods. Let's say let's say my brother went and um, broke into someone's house and stole some of their property, and then he comes over to my house and gives me this property and says, "Hey, can you hold on to this for a minute or for a day or two? And I know for a fact that he didn't just go out and buy this, or it wasn't just given to him as a gift. He actually stole this property, and now I'm in possession of it, and I'm aware that it's stolen property." I and I have an op, uh, an opportunity to get rid of it. You know, the best situation would be to call the police and report it. The police will come in. Um, they'll they'll conduct an investigation and they'll take the property off my hands. Um, but if I don't take the steps to get rid of it to terminate the possession that I have of this stolen property, then that property uh, then I could be guilty of a crime. So that's the possession element of of the uh, property crimes. The next big um, element is mens rea. And so mens rea is a, it's, they call it the guilty mind or the guilty conscience. Um, so there are several different types of the of these mens rea elements or these mental states. And the first one, the big one is specific intent. And you'll hear this on your um, bar prep course or on the bar exam um, to name a certain specific intent crimes or to determine what the um what the intent this the actual intent is for that particular crime so i'm going to go through a few of the big crimes that we have um, that are all classified as specific intent crimes and i'm gonna i'm gonna let you guys know what the actual intent is that needs to be proven for uh to prove someone guilty of that crime so to begin with burglary 
The specific intent in burglary is the intent to commit a felony in the structure. Number two, assault. The specific intent is the intent to accomplish a criminal battery or to create an apprehension of an imminent criminal battery. Number three, murder. The intent to kill or to do serious bodily harm. Number four, conspiracy. The intent to agree and to accomplish an unlawful purpose. Number five. I'm going to put these all into the same category under theft crimes because there are many theft crimes. So I'll just keep it at that just to simplify things. So theft crime number one, larceny. Intent to permanently deprive. Um, number two, embezzlement. Intent to defraud. Number three, false pretenses. In, intent to permanently, uh, sorry, that one is as well, is intent to defraud. Number four, larceny by trick. Intent to permanently deprive, once again. Number five, um, robbery. Intent to permanently deprive, once more. And then lastly, number six um, is solicitation. So intent, to, uh, intent that the target offense be committed. So those are your specific intent crimes. Now, number two is uh, the two malice crimes. So malice has to do with uh, a serious recklessness or wanton um, and reckless behavior. So the first malice crime is murder. Now murder um, is broken down into the with the intent to kill, intent to do serious bodily harm, or wanton and reckless state of mind, or felony murder. Those are the four types, excuse me, I'm yawning because it's 4.30 in the morning when I'm recording here. So those are the four types of crimes, uh, or the four types of intents of a murder crime. Uh, felony murder was the last one. The second type of malice crime is arson. Now, arson is the intent to burn or wanton and reckless state of mind. That's pretty much all you need to know for the malice crimes. The third type is general intent. This one is, uh, you know, sort of opposite of specific intent in that it requires only an intent to do the prescribed act and it may be inferred from the fact that the um, defendant in fact committed the act so um, it requires only an intent to do the prescribed act that means you have to actually go through with it and it has to be um, it has to be accomplished it can't be um, you can't get charged for something by just your intention the action has to take place entirely. The, the, the fourth one and the, and the second last one is, is called transferred intent. And so transferred intent is where the defendant acts intending to cause a particular harm, emphasis on intending and emphasis on particular harm to a particular person or object. Underline that particular person or object but in fact causes a similar harm to a different person or object, underline that. Examples are murder, you know, arson, battery, what have you. Does not apply to attempt crimes. Remember that. So if somebody has the intent to commit a crime against someone, and that has to be a crime, you know, that they, uh, you know, they know what they're doing. So, for example, um, somebody wants to commit a battery against another person, but then... 
that battery ends up, you know, he, he wants to hit, somebody wants to punch another person in the face, they throw, they swing, that person moves to the side, and they actually hit um, his girlfriend behind them. Well, that's, that person can be found guilty, um, you know, of a transferred intent crime, because the initial intent was to cause harm um, or to cause, yeah, to cause a harm to the person that they were trying to hit, but they ended up transferring um, that harm to a second person. Even though they didn't want to hit that second person, the fact that they wanted to hit the first person and they end up hitting the second person um, while doing the same action is, is enough to be guilty of battery. And the same could be done, um, you know, by the diff by different acts. So if someone, um, you know, wants to hit someone, um, you know, hit or wants to do something to to a person, but uh, like commit a certain crime, but only ends up committing a different crime, and the original crime wasn't committed, but they end up committing a different crime. Well, that 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 as well will find them guilty. Like to find them not guilty of committing a second crime is just a bit ridiculous because. Uh, you know, if the defendant wants to raise the claim that, well, I didn't, I didn't intend on hitting them when I only in intended on pretending to hit them, but I end up hitting them after all. That's not something they'll get away with. Uh, lastly, in terms of the mens rea intent uh, or mental state uh, crimes, there's strict liability. So those are statutory crimes for which no mental state is required. This is very straightforward. This is um, like speeding, for example. Although I don't think speeding is part of the Penal code as part of the traffic code, um, there are elements of the traffic code that can be criminal. So, um, like um, DUI, for example, driving while impaired or driving under the influence, um, just uh, just being impaired or just having a certain blood alcohol concentration in your body, which is usually 0 0.08 uh, milligrams to 100 milliliters of blood that will cause someone to be found guilty of uh, DUI. You don't need to prove that they intended to drink or intended to operate a motor vehicle under the influence of uh, narcotics or alcohol. You just need to prove that they were in fact uh, under the influence or impaired. That's enough. I think I'll leave it at that for now because I wanted to get into some accomplice liability stuff um, on this one, but I don't think I'm gonna have enough time. We'll definitely pick up on the remaining components and aspects of criminal law uh, in the next few programs. Once again, guys, this was Konstantinos. Thanks again for um, tuning into Law Made Simple, where we help students across America and in California get through the struggles of bar prep. We know how struggle, how much of a struggle it could be to to study for the bar. How overwhelming it is because we've done it. I've done it. Um, I recently wrote it in October here in California, and I know that studying for the bar exam is probably the worst thing you're ever going to have to face. I mean, I did it over a period of five months when people usually spend two months studying for the bar exam. Um, I took five months, not because I wanted to, because COVID hit, you know, COVID-19. I'm sure there will be listeners in the future who won't have experienced that or won't remember COVID. but covid um really made things um impossible for us so we because everything was pushed forward or pushed back i should say we were supposed to write the bar exam in, in july then it was pushed to september then it was finally pushed to october 
at which point we actually wrote it finally. So I know how, how stressful it, um, studying for the bar exam can be. I know how overwhelming it can feel with everything else that's going on. So uh, we want you to know that we at, we at Law Made Simple are here for you. And if there's any questions that you guys may have, I know I said in one of the previous podcasts that I'll be setting up an email and the website shortly. It's currently in the works, so stay tuned for that. I'm going to provide you guys with an email that you guys can send out any questions you want. We can chat. Um, the, the, the website will have a chat option for anybody to do a live chat. I'll be there. I'm available whenever you guys want. My, my, my whole purpose of putting together Law Made Simple is to create an outlet for people to go to for information that just is so specific or it's just something that one of the big bar prep companies uh, don't provide because they do really broad strokes uh, analysis of the law and I want to give a more personalized touch. My goal essentially is to get to the point where I could provide people with individualized study plans um, depending on their study methods, their learning styles. And this includes live sessions that I'm going to be orchestrating and showcasing uh, probably on weekends. So those will be on Zoom. Those will start opening up. I'll start having reservation spots as we go forward and people can reserve in advance. Um, I just want to thank you guys again for being part of the Law Made Simple group. And uh, I'll see you next time.